passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Which brings me to the next challenge which is most likely going to be Brock Lesnar. What are your thoughts on that? Brock Lesnar, when you come, bring that brand new WWE title too. I feel like being a WWE champion too. Let's go! Let's go, Brock! Bring that belt with you if you come to my house. Congratulations, champ. Yo, Rogan, you are the man, buddy. I want to kiss you. My God, that's what I'm talking about. The champ, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Cormier. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UFC 230 Post Show. I am John Pollock, joined at this late hour by Ziggy Cow. Ziggy, welcome back. We've missed you. Thank you. And Phil Chertok, the second time in a week. I'm so glad you are back. How are you, Phil? I'm excellent. I'll be here a third time, fourth time, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth time, however many times you need me, John. Everyone loves you, Phil. You're, you've got a growing, growing popularity. I can, I can sense it. Uh, my question to you, Ziggy, because I chatted with Phil about this earlier this week. Uh, this card in and of itself, I know a lot of people were comparing it to the last two Madison Square Garden cards. Where was your interest level for Daniel Cormier, Derek Lewis? Because this card went through many, many different changes. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been better. I think that was most people's conclusion. What was yours? Um, yeah, so I mean, the actual like fight itself, I, I think it went down exactly how I thought it would. Um, I wasn't particularly interested in, in the fight itself just because of uh, Derek Lewis's last fight and then Dan- Daniel Cormier being uh, apparently his hands were injured or whatnot. But I think the fight itself went down exactly how I thought. Um, considering how the card was kind of blown up a few times, um, I actually thought, uh, the card was actually pretty good in terms of what happened tonight. Yeah. We'll get into all of the fights. There was, uh, a number, I, I think of really, really strong fights, but let's start off with the, with the main event itself. There is not a whole lot to dissect from this. Daniel Cormier and Derek Lewis, it went, uh, two fourteen of the second round. The first round was a complete domination by Daniel Cormier. And I think as soon as he got the first takedown, everyone knew what this fight was going to be and the likelihood of Derek Lewis somehow uh, landing that that shot was pretty diminished. I thought Cormier just completely dominated him this first round. Several takedowns, was mixing in strikes. I think you could easily go 10-8 for that first round. And then in the second, Lewis came out. He had a number of heavy shots that he threw, none of which connected. And then Cormier... Went right back to his takedowns, and after taking his back, got his hooks in, and that was it. Uh, with ease, submitting him with a rear naked choke. Uh, did any of this surprise you, Phil? Just the ease at which Daniel Cormier had Derek Lewis beat th- throughout this fight? Nothing surprised me about it. It was pretty textbook. He went to the takedown as quickly as possible. His first opportunity, 
he stayed in half guard, avoiding uh, passing to side control where it would probably be easier for Lewis to get up. And Lewis continued to turn his back to him to try to get up. And Daniel Cormier would just hold on, ride him, and just rode him until he could sink the choke in and just dominated him. Ziggy, I thought that this was a very smart uh, strategy for Daniel Cormier. He he incurred zero damage in this fight. Uh, probably was not going into it 100% either. Uh, he weighed 251 pounds uh, for this fight, but made an incredible amount of money for tonight's fight and can easily turn around if he is planning to fight before his retirement in March, which all indications are he will. So from that, I mean, this did present a risk, but I think one of which... At the end of it, Daniel Cormier comes out of this just laughing. Yeah, I think I mean I think it was very calculated by him. I think he knew exactly what was going to happen. He saw, you know, Derek Lewis's last fight, and he knows that his wrestling game is top notch. That's why he was not worried about, uh, you know, uh, his hands being busted because he knew that he was just going to out wrestle him. Phil, what would this have done to Daniel Cormier's legacy? had that shot landed by Derek Lewis and somehow he lost this fight with, you know, all the potential stuff that's, that's on the table for him with the fight with Brock Lesnar, possibly a fight with John Jones. I mean, how can you uh, look at Daniel Cormier what he was actually uh, risking here? Had he been caught with a, with a shot by Derek Lewis? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what exactly he would be risking. He certainly would risk the, the Brock Lesnar fight because that has all the appeal right now because you sell it as who's the baddest man on the planet, even though I think we'd all probably agree that fight is really John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Um, but even if he lost, I still think you can do the John Jones fight because of the history there uh, in terms of what it would do to his legacy. Um this is a weird hypothetical question, but yeah, if everything he, he, went the complete opposite way tonight, <laughs> what would we be talking about right now? Um, I, I think his legacy is definitely altered with with a loss here. So, like at the end of his career, because I, I'm with you, he loses the Brock fight. He may even not be in line for for a John Jones fight, and I think everyone would look at this as just a an awful decision by him to just go for a payday and. I, I guess it's just the pessimistic side of me that let, let's just look at what could have happened tonight. I, I think the betting line and the fact that he probably know better than all of us what exactly was going to happen in there. He, he He's not just a fighter. He's an analyst as well. So he can see the the matchups play out and know that he's not really in any risk. And he wasn't in any risk in this fight. So after the fight, Joe Rogan interviewed Cormier. And the most notable thing he said was his challenge to Brock Lesnar to bring the the WWE championship because he wants to win that title as well. And Ziggy, is that the fight to make coming out of this? Uh, not knowing what Brock Lesnar's status is even going to be. He did not show up uh, on Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. He did win the WWE title on Friday, and it's doing at least two more dates with the WWE. And it's not even a guarantee that he's necessarily going to be doing this fight. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like you said, we don't really know what Brock's contract is with the WWE um, and what's going to happen with him. So, I mean, for me, um, I'd rather see the Jones fight. 
uh, myself. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously money talks and that's what uh, I think Cormier wants. So we'll see how that goes, I guess. Phil, what is the fight you want to see with Cormier and what is the fight you think is most likely uh, to be made for him? The fight I want to see most is Cormier Jones at heavyweight. That I think, because that's the best weight for Cormier and going up to that weight would cement Jones as the greatest of all time, which I think is more likely. It's it's kind of hard to tell because is Brock Lesnar actually going to fight in the UFC? It's sort of a question mark. Um, I don't think and, you can guarantee it. Uh, yeah, and even if that fight was planned out, could we guarantee that three months there'd be no reason for somebody to pull out so I, I don't know. I don't know which one's more likely, but the one I definitely want to see is is Jones versus Cormier at heavyweight. I think Jones versus Cormier is also more exciting because I think if it was Brock and Cormier, it would be more possibly wrestling match. And I think the more exciting fight would be the Jones and Cormier because I think it'd be more explosive. But maybe maybe Cormier plays a striking game against Brock because we all know how Brock doesn't like to get hit. Not that anybody does, but I think uh, that would be interesting. Anyways. So tonight at Madison Square Garden, we have the figures here. The attendance was 17,011, and the live gate, $2,841,718.68. So a far, far cry from that record-setting gate they had with Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez, which I think everyone expected, but just kind of putting into perspective uh, how much uh, lower tickets were scaled uh, for this event and quite a quite a departure from the last two years uh, that they had run Madison Square Garden. Uh, the final thing on the main event, as we look at all of these options for Daniel Cormier, I'll ask you, Ziggy, first, how, how tied do you feel Daniel Cormier is really to this retirement in March? Because... As a businessman, it doesn't make any sense to me why he would step away on this magical date when it just seems like he has two monstrous fights on the table, and one of which could be in doubt with Brock Lesnar that, I mean, if he is adamant with this march out, I don't think there's any way John Jones is coming back that quickly, much less moving up to heavyweight uh, in such a small amount of time. I think it would all depend on what the results are on his next match, right? Because I think... I think if he wins, then uh, obviously the possibility of him doing another fight uh, for the money would be there. But I think if he loses, then maybe not. Maybe he'll just stick to uh, – and maybe it also depends on the fashion that uh, if he loses, right? Um, that could also play a factor into it uh, as well. Is Jones or Jones and Gustafson you're talking about? No, uh, Cormier. So in terms of – so I think it's important on – uh, his next fight. So let's say Cormier fights either Jones or Brock Lesnar, right? And then let's say he loses that match. And then I feel like then he'll retire. But I think if he wins his next match, uh, Cormier, then he would possibly, you know, go over his um, his promise of uh, retiring uh, before he's 40 um, and make that lucrative fight, right? I feel pretty confident, Phil, that Daniel Cormier is going to have a, a real sit down with himself and wonder what, what is so magical about being 
uh, an official retired fighter on March 21st, the day after he turns 40? I, I, I agree that he's not going to be so tied to that specific date. I think if there's one fight, like if, if, if the Brock fight gets pushed back till May, let's say, he could wait till May to take that fight. But I do. Like this th- guy has never been bigger than this moment. Like he is in his absolute, like drawing prime at the moment with, you know, two significant fights on the table potentially. That it just seems that my God, like you know, this guy's made some very good money in MMA. But I just find it really tough to be to to walk away from uh, even if one of those fights happens, leaving the other one there on the table. It. It's it's just that he is 40. He probably knows what his body has been through. I mean, he certainly knows that. Uh, and it's difficult for us to imagine exactly what that is like. And if he's accomplished his goals, and maybe that's enough for him. And he's certainly doing well outside of the cage. It's not like he, he, he necessarily needs uh, that fight money. But... Yeah, I I could see him reconsidering it and and extending it a little bit longer, but he he is forty and there is a finite limit and there usually isn't very uh, graceful exits from the fight game, so uh, he probably doesn't want to end up looking on the wrong side of a highlight reel. Let's uh, move down the card. The co-feature was Chris Weidman and Ronaldo Jacare Souza. This was initially going to be Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold in a rematch from their. Uh, UFC 194 fight, Rockle got injured, and they reshuffled the card with Jacare, moved into this position. And what a fight this was. I thought this was such a close fight going uh, right into the third round and up through the finish. Uh, the first round, I scored it for Weidman. He was able to land a number of combinations. He wobbled Jacare at one point and was circling around. And Jacare was going after the body. This was consistent throughout the fight with a lot of body shots. And Jacare got nailed in the nose. The announcers were speculating that he may have broken his nose, which he denied later. Into the second round, this was uh, a super close round. Jacare is just swinging with big shots. He's landing on the body. Weidman stunned him briefly with a right hand, and he's upping his volume. And it was Jacare, though, that did outland him in this round. Again, very close round. I think most had it tied going into the third, but you could definitely have uh, different scores. So in the third round, the announcers are just marveling at Weidman's hands, and he seems to just be flowing at this point. He landed a knee up the middle, mixing in elbows with punches, and just seemed to be the fresher of the two late in the fight. And then Jacare starts coming back. He kicks him in the body, and then he throws this right hand that just drops Weidman. He is dead. This is uh, Goldeneye, and you just <laughs> nail a guy with a bullet go, from long range. He is out. Uh, Dan Mergliata, though, I don't know. He's just th- – no, it's it's like he, <laughs> he's okay. He's going to recover. Chris Weidman looked like he had just crumpled to – like this looked like a death scene out of a movie the way he fell. And Jacare is just looking at him like, dude, he's out. And he had to throw this just – Hammer fist is totally unnecessary shot, and he's pissed at Mergliata, who finally realizes Chris Weidman is not getting up. He is not part of this fight any longer. So it stopped at 246 of the third round. 
I know referees really get a lot of flack at times, but this was just a really egregious stoppage. It was so clear Chris Weidman was done here. And Jacare, man, what a win for him because it certainly, A, leapfrogs Weidman in terms of being a title contender and a really demoralizing win for Chris Weidman, who, I mean, these guys had a great fight, and it seemed that Weidman was on his way to uh, getting a decision at the end of this, although it was really close. Uh, let's start with you, Phil. Uh, first of all, just your thoughts on the fight and the finish to this one. It was a tremendous fight, fight of the year contender for sure. It was the story for most of the fight was uh, Weidman using very technical striking, keeping Jacare at range. Jacare sort of standing in front of Weidman and eating shots. And then every once in a while, Jacare would just sort of bite down on his mouthpiece and just go in there and turn it into a brawl. And that's where he would have all of his his success. And then finally, uh, after eating some shots, Wyman would find a way to circle out and turn it back, back into a more technical fight. And then finally into the third round, uh, and, and, and I think, uh, Weidman did win the first two rounds using that strategy, even though, uh, it was pretty close. And then in the third round, Jacare just kept on that mentality of just making it a dog fight and wouldn't relent and finally caught Weidman with a huge shot that put him out and, uh, took, took the fight away from him. It, it was a, it was a crazy fight. It was amazingly entertaining. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Jacare showed so much heart because he he was he was looking like a punching bag at times because he was standing right in front of Weidman, but that almost woke him up at moments. And he was digging with a left to the liver like six, seven, eight times in this fight. That was just brutal. That may have even set up the finish. He would he would he would throw this shot to the liver. And then on the next combo, he'd always sort of end with this big shot over the top, and that landed quite a few times for him. And, yeah, it was great. Ziggy, where does this place uh, Jacare? Because I watched this fight, and I thought it was a great fight. It got the fight of the night bonus. I also uh, would shudder to think what either of these two would do against Robert Whitaker. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a, a great fight. Um, I actually agree with John. I thought it was uh, – 10-9 Weinman and 9-10 Souza, but uh, I kind of agree it could have gone either way, but I think Souza did enough in the second round um, on there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it does shoot him pretty high, especially the fashion that he did it in. Like like you said, like Weinman looked like he, he died there, and I don't know what Dan was thinking um, there. He did look like he was, like, really far away from the action, but still, like, you know... Um, uh, Weidman was like dead, just holding on his leg too. So that was crazy. Um, yeah, I think uh that'll be a good fight versus uh Robert Whitaker. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Phil, where do you see this placing Jacare? Is this enough that this could warrant him a title fight, or do you think just with the space between? Uh, this fight, and when Whitaker and Gaslam finally fight next year, that he's probably going to have to take another fight in the interim. I think he's going to have to take another fight uh, for a couple reasons, just because, first, he already has a pretty bad loss to Whitaker. 
Um, it was pretty decisive. And along with that, now that's assuming, of course, Whitaker gets the win in the fight with uh, Gastelum. And he's the fact that he doesn't speak English so well, he's not as marketable, even though he's been around in the UFC for several years. So I do think he's going to need to take a fight. I mean, there's another middleweight that won this uh, evening that might make a good matchup for him. Mm -hmm. Yes, we will get into that as well. And also where uh, someone like Luke Rockhold figures into this whole middleweight mix in the moment. like it's, it's I've, like, I've, I've wanted that rematch for a long time because they had a great first fight in Strikeforce. Yeah, so that, that could be... That could very well be where, where you find this because it's like this this cluster at middleweight while you wait for this title fight to take place uh, early next year. And the main card featured a number of middleweight fights. Next up was uh, David Branch and Jared Cannonier. Jared Cannonier, who fought the uh, predominantly early portion of his career at heavyweight. Then he cut down to light heavyweight. And after a pair of losses, he cut down to middleweight for this fight. And this guy, so happy with his body that he walked out. No shirt on. Just look at this physique I've got. Jared Cannonier, just uh, so so proud of this weight cut. Uh, taking on David Branch, Cannonier, a big underdog at plus 300. Not the biggest on the card, but one of the more sizable underdogs. First round, it just featured David Branch getting a number of takedowns, uh, but Cannonier getting up each time. Uh, but it was a, a fairly uh, dull round with David Branch uh, winning at 10-9. And then in the second round, Cannoneer eats a shot, but in response, throws this right hand and drops David Branch. It lands right on the chin. Branch is covering up, and Cannoneer just swarmed him with strikes, and he gets the stoppage 29 seconds into the second round. Gave a speech to Joe Rogan after, and just came across as the the most likable individual here. Uh, getting a very big win as he moves down to middleweight, and a tough loss for David Branch this uh Brings him to two and two inside of the UFC after that Tiago Santos victory he had uh, last year, and uh, and then he also had the Luke Rockhold loss as well that uh, took place last year. Uh, but Jared Cannonier, Ziggy, uh, did he look impressive here? Did he stand out uh, among the uh, the mini middleweight tournament we had tonight on the main card? Yeah, I thought he looked great. I really like the fact that even when uh, when he did hit him, he he took his time with his shots. He didn't just go all like berserk. He 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 used patience, and it worked out for him. And he he looked great on that. He did a a good job too. Uh, you know, defending the takedown. I thought David Branch's takedown looked kind of sloppy, um, and and he did a great job on uh, you know staying up uh, with the body locks and everything. So I, I thought he looked tremendous. And the fashion that he won was really good for him. And Phil, it looks like Jared can now really like branch out at the middleweight division. <laughs> Hi-oh. <laughs> um, it's late. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of them. <laughs> that's that's fine. It, it keeps me up. Um, he, uh, I, I mean, Jared Cannonier, sort of an amazing performance from him. He looked, I mean, Everything about him looked totally different than his previous encounters in the UFC. His physique, just comp- like night and day difference. Uh, he, at one like point, a new he yeah. absolutely he threw a wheel kick at one point that looked very good. I mean, he he sort of caught Branch on the end of it, and he just looked so strong, able to shuck off all the takedowns, stay composed, huge power. 
I'm I'm afraid for the next person that has to fight this guy because I thought he looked really good. Yeah, he was. You know, if it, if it wasn't for the the person that opened up the main card, I think there'd be a lot more focus on Jared Cannon here. I thought he looked really good here, but I don't know if he's going to have the the same kind of spotlight on him. But this was a great performance, and it looks like middleweight really agrees with him. And kind of crazy watching him that this was a guy fighting at heavyweight not all that long ago. Uh, Carl Robertson and Jack Marshman somehow won the lottery and got onto the main card here. This was a fight that I think many people were puzzled as to its placement on the card. Uh, the fight was what it was. Uh, it went the distance. Carl Robertson winning by unanimous decision on scores of 30-26 twice and 30-27. And early on, Robertson was just much quicker. He was landing with that counter left, uh, moving his head quite a bit, uh, but slowed near the end of the first. And then throughout the fight, you could see that he was dealing with some kind of a leg injury that he later uh, spoke about during the post-fight interview. And Marshman was just, you know, throwing lots of strikes and uh, providing a lot of difficulties for Robertson. But never did I feel Robertson was in too much danger here. When his leg was giving him problems, he started moving into his wrestling uh, with takedowns, which he rode out the second round with on top. And then in the third, back to his striking, uh, worked around the leg and nailed him with this hard counter left and another takedown and stayed inside control until he mounted him near the end. So I think you would give all three rounds to him. Uh, Phil, Carl Robertson, uh, where does this man find himself in this middleweight division? I mean, this has to be one of the maybe quieter talking points coming out of the show. Uh, definitely quieter talking points. Um, he looked good in this fight against a uh, opponent whose caliber I, I'm not really sure uh, how good Jack Marshman is. I mean, he certainly took a lot of shots in this fight and kept coming forward. Uh, but Carl Robertson just sort of stayed composed and, and got a victory. Uh, I don't know really where he fits in the ranking. Um, he did look sharp. He looked technical. Especially in the um, first round. I, I was very impressed with his output in the, in the first round and his head movement. So I don't mean to totally, uh, you know, negate this performance. It just seemed that, you know, you had all these like middleweight contenders and, and this fight just seemed kind of, uh, you're throwing this into the mix of, uh, of middleweight, yeah, I mean, middleweight fights. Yeah, the performance was fine, but it's against the level of competition is sort of where it just begs the question of like, okay, what's next for this guy? I don't know how far of a step up he needs to go. So that that's why there's a lack of enthusiasm from me about it. But uh, he 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 showed some skills definitely. So yeah, let's see him again against a higher a, a ranked opponent, somebody in the top twenty, I, I guess. Ziggy's probably just sitting there like, shut up. This was a great fight. <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of like the fight. There was a lot of hard shots. I mean, you can hear the shots pretty hard. Um, I mean, yeah, compared to the other fights on the card, it, it was the weakest one. Um, but, you know, I still enjoyed the oh, fight. I thought it was... Ziggy, you didn't see all the prelims. This was not the worst fight on the show. That's still to come. Yes. There, there was an, a horrendous fight at the beginning of this card. But I still thought that the, the fight was competitive. I mean, I, I don't think that Robertson was ever in trouble, but I think, like, he was still in the fight. Um, and, it, you know, he if he could have had a couple shots in, he could have possibly won. But, you know, his chin was really strong in it. And I don't know. I, was, I still was entertained by the fight. And then opening up the pay-per-view portion was Derek Brunson and Israel Adesanya. Um, along with Weidman Jacare, this was the most intriguing 
set of fights to me on this show. And in many ways, Israel Adesanya was the most, uh, I think, the fighter that came into this card with the most questions attached to him because of the potential, how, how, how well he has looked. And this is his fourth fight alone of 2018 uh, since debuting in the UFC and against a, a legitimate uh, opponent in Derek Brunson, who's beaten some really strong guys. So the big question was, what was the wrestling game of Brunson going to present for Adesanya? Early on in the fight, they're up against the fence, and Brunson is grabbing Adesanya's shorts. And Adesanya is yelling at referee Herb Dean about this infraction. So Herb Dean separates them, and Adesanya gives him the finger. He's not dealing with any of this guy's bullshit. And... Uh, Herb Dean then calmly explained to Derek Brunson why he's losing his position. And then Paul Felder on commentary, who's got his like monitor right there to watch all the replays, just said, yeah, he was trying to rip the guy's shorts off. So there was nothing subtle from Derek Brunson. Uh, Brunson did clip him with a left, but he was not able to get any of his takedowns. He went for several, and Adesanya certainly passed the test in terms of uh, blocking said takedowns. And then the fight just went into... Uh, it's finishing sequence. Adesanya drilled him with this right knee to the face. And Derek Brunson, uh, this was like watching a skater that's just lost his balance and is just free falling. He's wobbling around. He took a head kick. He gets dropped by a right, but then he's up to his feet again. And it's a left hand that Herb Dean steps in to wave off the fight. And Israel Adesanya improves to 15-0. and his fourth fight of the year, as I mentioned, this came with a nine seconds to go in the first round. And I think this performance is going to just send him right to the top of this division. He is going to be getting an enormous fight in his next bout at 185 pounds. And he seems to be the the real hot prospect uh, that they have tabbed as a, as a future star. Um, Phil, Israel Adesanya gave himself a B-minus. In this performance, what did you give him? Uh, I would probably give him an A plus. I don't really see how he could have outperformed what he did today. Uh, his takedown defense was tremendous. Uh, he was using amazing, amazing frames to defend the takedown. So he just always sort of kept himself long and used angles and was able to circle away and. and Brunson sort of started to look desperate and then his timing on that knee towards the end of the first round where he dropped him and the hands, he was patient uh, and, and landed all, a wide variety of strikes throughout the fight. Uh, it was, it was a masterclass in a lot of ways. And uh, I definitely uh, think he's going to get a huge fight after this. I'm, I'm really curious who they might put him up against. I would put him against Paul Costa. I think that would be a great fight. I just, well, that, that I mean, it would be a great fight. I agree. I just worried it'll, uh, you're going to eliminate a contender by putting that fight together. I, I think they're going to shoot Israel Adesanya to, I almost, I don't want to see him face a Chris Weidman next. I wouldn't nope. want to see him go that high. I almost wonder if it would be the best idea to, in order to get such a bigger spotlight on this guy. I got we, Put him against I, I, Anderson Silva. That that's the fight. fight. Yes. That's the exact same fight I'm thinking. Yeah, that's perfect. Like, that's it's, the use of Anderson Silva now. It's, I think people would just go nuts for that fight when it's announced. And 
And I think it's a super winnable fight for Adesanya. I don't think it presents – I won't say no risk, but I think that that is the kind of fight that will cement him as a big star fighting Anderson Silva. Mm. Um, I like that fight a lot. That would be where I go next with him rather than throw him against uh, a Rockhold, Weidman, Jacare level fight next. I'm okay with both. Like, I'm okay if they put him up against Jacare because I would love to see that fight. At this point, I'm like, okay, let's see him against everybody. But I am also very intrigued by that Anderson Silva fight. I do think that that as a marquee fight is the biggest one that they can do with him. And I don't want to compare him too much to Anderson Silva, but he kind of looked like Anderson Silva in there. The way that he defended the takedowns, the way that he was super uh, precise with his strikes. Uh, so uh, you could totally sell that as, you know, the future versus the, the past. And it, it would be a great fight. So a very strong performance from Israel Adesanya. And yeah, it's going to be a very intriguing 2019 for him and where he fits in for his next fight. Prelims. Uh, let's just uh, quickly go through these. Uh, we had Jason Knight taking on Jordan Rinaldi. This was the uh, the headliner on FS1. Jordan Rinaldi winning by unanimous decision. This was Knight's fourth straight loss. Uh, Jason Knight, I always am entertained by watching this guy, but four straight losses is really tough. And this just came down to Rinaldi's grappling. He just continually took him down, got his back, and the way he applied that body triangle fill and was just constantly going back and forth when Knight would shift his hips to try and break it. I mean, Rinaldi was just great uh, with it, with his body control throughout this whole fight. And Jason Knight was just getting frustrated, trying to punch behind, but it was to no avail. I thought Rinaldi, once he started mixing in his striking uh, with his just dominant position in the third, I thought that was enough for the, for a 10-8. So I scored this one 30-26 for Rinaldi. Uh, I had a 30-26 as well. Uh, it was a dominant performance. It wasn't the most exciting performance or exciting fight because it was so dominant and Rinaldi wasn't really able to get the finish at any point. Um, I would have maybe liked to see him try some different things, but it's hard to criticize somebody for not taking risks when they're in such a dominant position. But it was a clear victory against a serious opponent. So very impressed by Rinaldi. Yeah, the scores were 30-25, 30-26, and 30-27. Uh, but on a scale of 1 to 10, Phil, uh, when it comes to praising Jesus post-fight interviews, where did this hit? <laughs> it, I it, was at an 8. I, w- I was going to say, it's pretty high up there. It's, it's yeah, 8.5 8, 8. for me, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, can, you can weigh the meter by ben like Joe Rogan has a certain acceptance <laughs> of guys that are just going to thank God. But once you're wondering, like, Joe Rogan is clearly biting his tongue once it's getting into, like, several points being made. Uh, that, and Jordan Rinaldi was just all in uh, on this. But uh, anyway. See, uh, Sajara Eubanks versus Roxanne Modafferi. Of course, uh, Sajara Eubanks uh, could have headlined this show, did not, and then missed weight for this fight against Roxanne Modafferi and <laughs> did not appreciate people, uh, I guess, issuing comments about her missing weight. Uh, she won this fight 30-27 across the board. Um, you know, she was just the better striker and then had numerous takedowns on Roxanne Modafferi and... Uh, 
I, I guess, what did you think of Sajara Eubank's performance here, Phil? And what what is her future at flyweight, if one at all? Well, I definitely think she has a future. She was clearly the better fighter. She, I mean, fighting uh, at this weight class, though. I mean, is is it her? Oh, if she, is her future at bantamweight is what I should. Say. Um, I think she's. We should give her another chance. I mean, she made a fair point that this was a short notice fight. And so let's give her a chance to really make the weight. Of course, if had she been fighting for the title, that would have been just a complete disaster. Um, so, uh, all things considered, it worked out. Her performance itself wasn't like awe inspiring. She, she did have a clear victory, but she gave Roxanne Modafferi a lot of opportunities in this fight. Uh, she looked like she was fading at points and Roxanne was just eating shots and sort of giving it back to her. Uh, but she, she pulled out the win and she sort of kind of made a name for herself bizarrely through this whole process. So, uh, maybe you can put her into some type of, uh, notable fight next. Um, she does need to make weight. She should she should play up this heel thing though, I think. She, she some people <laughs> seem to want to dislike her. So uh she might want to run with that. She might get more traction that way. She really blew a golden opportunity when she won this fight of at the post fight introducing herself to Joe Rogan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know who my name is now? <laughs> like she should have she should have just cut a promo on Joe Rogan and it would have been the most memorable thing and everyone would have been talking about Sajara Eubanks after and calling out Joe Rogan for not knowing who this woman is when they announced she was going to be headlining this card uh, and then she should have said I am the real main event tonight and then just thrown the microphone away <laughs> Shaman Marias defeated uh, Julio Arce in a featherweight bout this just turned into a bloodbath uh in the first round, Marias dropped uh, Arce with this right hook and was landing these big strikes on top, and it looked like he was going to finish him, and then Arce got onto the back of Marias for the final, I guess, two and a half minutes of this round. Uh, he had a big comeback, not enough that I gave him the round because I thought the strikes were the uh, uh, more significant in this round than the, uh, the back control of Arce. Then in the second, they were against the fence, and Marias landed this elbow, and Julio Arce uh, turned into a living embodiment of Niagara Falls because the amount of blood that started coming out of his uh, temple area, the side of his head, was just gigantic. And, I mean, this was a very bloody fight. I don't know if it warranted the outrage that Joe Rogan and Paul Felder provided it. Like, they thought they had just walked into... Uh, like an outtake of like carry or something. They were just floored by how much blood had been spilled in all of this. And the third round, as Arce looks like a zombie, he actually wins the third round. I thought he landed way more strikes. One judge did not give it to him. And I don't know how that was possible, uh, but the scores were 29, 28, 29, 28, uh, one for each. And then 30, 26 for Marias, which was a bit of a nutty score. Uh, so Shaman Marias wins by split decision and this would, if you tuned in just for the pay-per-view, Ziggy, uh, the, these two were responsible for the canvas, uh, looking like they had just been hit with a, uh, a hose full of blood. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty brutal, this one. I, I mean, I, UFC fights, uh, but did you think the judges got it right, uh, with Shaman Marais? I did think that they got it right. It was, um, 
he definitely landed uh he definitely provided more damage i don't know about the 30 26 score card i don't, that, I don't know how you give that third to yeah arse yeah I, I mean i guess yeah and then the first round i also agree that like it looked like arse could have a lot of potential to maybe come back in this fight and and control positionally but he just he just ate too many shots too many huge shots and the televised prelims opened up with Lyman Good knocking out Ben Saunders in a minute 32. Uh, they just traded these body kicks and then they got into the clinch and Good just started landing these unanswered uppercuts and Saunders just went down after a number of these and Good finished him uh, with hammer fists. And Lyman Good was the biggest favorite on this card at minus 605 and Saunders has now lost four of his last five. Uh, I, I was expecting this to maybe be a... Uh, sleeper fight, uh, but it turned out just to be uh, a really good performance, and I wasn't trying to do that, but anyway. Lyman gets the victory, Phil. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not too surprising. Uh, ben Saunders has definitely uh, had some pretty bad losses in the last little while, so uh, I'm not sure if uh, we're going to see him in the UFC again. And quickly here, the results from uh, on Fight Pass. Uh, Lando Venata and Matt Frivola fought to a majority draw. They had it 29-28 Frivola and the other two 28-28. This fight was awesome. If you missed the Fight Pass uh, prelims, this is the fight to go check out. The first round was one of the craziest of the years. Uh, Frivola took so much damage, but then he uh, he just started uh, – his best round was in the first, just connecting with all these counter rights and you just thought this fight was going to end at numerous points. Uh, in the second round, uh, Venata took over and just had a really, really solid round. So it came down to the third, and uh, Frivola just came to life after being battered in the second. So this was a really, really excellent fight. I think if it had been on the main card, it may have uh, – some might have even thought it was, it was better than the Jacare Weidman fight. Not a technical fight. Uh, this was more just a crazy brawl. And then Shane Burgos defeated Kurt uh, Hollibaugh uh, by armbar at 211 of the first round. And in a terrible opening fight, Marcos Rogerio de Lima defeated Adam Vizoric by unanimous decision. Uh, Vizoric took this fight on very short notice, and he had like no, he had nothing left by the end of the first round. Uh, de Lima, who had previously missed weight at light heavyweight in his last two fights, moved up to heavyweight. And in his first fight at heavyweight, Weighed 252 pounds. I don't know how this man was fighting at light heavyweight. Uh, very, very dull fight. And uh, DeLima just got a number of takedowns, did nothing on top. And this was 15 minutes of this. So if you go back to Fight Pass, make sure you skip this fight. That would be my recommendation. Uh, Phil, you didn't see any of the Fight Pass fights, correct? I actually saw that first fight. Oh, God. And then you just uh, turned it off, didn't you? That, that is exactly what happened. So I was just like, oh, my goodness. If this is what the prelims are going to be like now. No, I had to do some uh, some work around the house at that time. So I didn't get to see Burgos or Venada. Um, but I'm going to go check out those results uh, myself on Fight Pass uh, after we're done here. Uh, one other thing I want to throw at you guys. Uh, Ziggy, starting with you, did you see the promo for next month's pay-per-view in Toronto, the one built around Max Holloway and Brian Ortega? I did not see it. Oh, Did you see this ad, Phil? The promo are, you talk- are you talking about the one where the, the poll from the Michael Bisping interview? Yes. With- the, yes. They built this promo 
around Max Holloway's I don't even like to call it injury. It's like this. Oh, that's un- what your Twitter was about. Your your tweet. It's like they're building the promo around like this mysterious injury that he had to pull out of the fight from. And like there's no even resolution in this promo. It's just like, yeah, this guy. And they're still not sure like what was wrong with him. That here's this guy in a fog uh, being interviewed by Kenny Florian and Michael Bisping. And it just felt so out of place for, uh, hey, he's fighting next month. He was really messed up in July. <laughs> I just thought it was really bizarre for a, for a promo. Like, this did not make me excited for this fight. It made me gravely concerned for this guy. I, I share your your uh, your concern. I, I have had it since you've announced this fight because, I, I mean, it's just bizarre to rebook it so soon. It feels like after what happened last time. They, I, use, a, they use a sound clip of Dana White. In this promo, stating it's going to be a long time before we see this guy fight again. <laughs> it's like this was in July. This fight's in December. That's not a long time. Yeah. I, I guess one I, of the more bizarre promos, and I think I was the only person that like noticed. Like this was like one of the weirdest UFC promos I've ever seen. I guess they're just selling. They're just the. They're just. The sales pitch is the drama of the fight, regardless of if it's like manufactured. Like this is the true drama of the fight is this whole thing that Max had to pull out. Is he going to have to pull out again? We don't know. Let's find out on whatever, December 8th or whatever the date of the Toronto card is. It's like the theme of this year of having all these weird promos with uh, drama. Uh, they also released their dates for the first three months of 2019 with their move to ESPN. It's going to start January 19th with a card on ESPN Plus from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And then they've got pay-per-views January 26th, February 9th, and March 2nd uh, with about 10 million fight nights in between those as well. So just as crazy a schedule in 2019. And I guess it's going to be interesting for us what uh, how all of this is structured on TSN – with, uh, of course, ESPN Plus not being available up here of where they they place it all. Because for the January 19th card, it's going to be like from 8 till 10, it's going to be on ESPN. And then from 10 till the main event the for like the main card, they're sending you to ESPN Plus. So that's what they're driving people to is the streaming service more so than the network, which is going to have prelims on it. Hmm. So. Uh, yeah, no word on uh, yeah Canada and if all of this will just be placed on TSN channels. So that was UFC 230, uh, an interesting card. Ziggy, uh, did you find this to be a strong show, a weak show, a thumbs in the middle card? What were your final thoughts on UFC 230? Uh, I enjoyed it um, for what it was anyways, uh, considering what it, it was kind of built out to be with all the reschedulings and all that. So. Um, I was pretty pleased with it. Um, I mean, the outcome of the the final fight was what I expected, but uh, I enjoyed the the middleweight fights. Phil, same question to you. Yeah, I thought it was a good card. It was very entertaining. Uh, the main event just sort of was a little bit uh, anticlimactic because it was a little bit too easy. Almost, it felt for Daniel Cormier. Uh, so it's. It's almost like we didn't even get to see the full his full capability, but uh, the Jacare Weidman fight was ludicrous, and I feel so bad for 
uh, Weidman, who once again loses in New York, maybe just stop having him fight in New York. And, uh, I mean, the miles that he has on him in the, just the last four or five fights, it's unbelievable. Um, and then Israel Adesanya, like a star is born. Like what a performance. So let's, 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 let's keep this train rolling. Let, uh, I know he's fought four times, uh, in the last year, so he deserves a break, but, uh, first quarter of next year. Come on. Let's go. Anderson Silva. I think that's yeah. the fight to make. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say overall, but with the, the Matt in Fugola, Australia. Uh, yeah, you could do it there too. Where uh, the, cause Whitaker and you've got Whitaker and Gastelum fighting on that card. So you put Silva versus Adesanya in that card. That's close to his home of New Zealand. If somebody drops out, you've got a backup. If Gastelum you know. misses weight. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and then Adesanya's put into the main event. Oh my yeah. God. Who knows? Um, yeah, three really great fights on this card with uh, the Frivola Venata fight on Fight Pass, Shaman Marias and Julio Arce, and then Jacare and Weidman. I think g- getting those three fights at that level, really hard to uh, be negative on-, on this card. I thought it was it was a very good card. This wasn't card of the year, uh, but overall, I think if you watched from start to finish, uh, not from start to finish, second fight to finish, uh, it was a pretty good card. I really was down on Marcos Rogerio de Lima and Adam Vizoric. <laughs> 15 minutes of hell that no one needs to go back and, and watch. So that's going to wrap up our show. Uh, as always, I want to thank you two uh, for joining me so I don't have to talk to myself. It keeps my sanity. And uh, next month, they're in Toronto. Are either of you going to the card next month in uh, our neck of the woods? I will not be going, but I'll be more than glad to watch it with you guys. So I believe it is the eighth. I think my guess was correct. Uh, I, I haven't decided. I think it's going to be a game time decision. I did uh, to go to the last card that they had here, which was featured Max Holloway versus Anthony Pettis in the main event. And that was a fantastic card. The whole event was amazing. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd like to go, but I'm not sure yet. All right. Well, we will be we will be here with a post show, uh, regardless of if anyone goes to this card or not. Max Holloway taking on Brian Ortega. Go watch the promo and uh, <laughs> back to me if you have a conscience watching this. Will he? Will he take on Brian Ortega? That's that's Let's... the drama. That's what they're selling. Will this fight happen? Should it happen? <laughs> Tune in sixty four ninety nine. All right, that is it. It is late. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, for watching and all of our shows this weekend. You can go check out at postwrestling.com. Way and I will be back uh, Monday night on Rewind to Raw. Uh, for Phil, Ziggy, I am John. Thank you. Good night.